reading from the second book of Ruth. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. A reading from 1 Corinthians. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. 
When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, the brother Philip, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Irenia, and te- um, te- Terraconitis, how about that? And um, Lysentius, Tetrarch of Abilene. And during the high um, high priest of Ananias and um, Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went out into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The gospel of the Lord. Good to give the deacon some hard names to say, isn't it, every once in a while? So it shouldn't just be the Old Testament reader that has to suffer through the difficult names. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And just as we prayed, we do pray that we would learn it, we would inwardly digest it, that we would grow, Lord, because your word comes from you. It is you speaking to us, Lord, and we are so thankful to hear you and to learn from you. So I pray, Lord, give us humble hearts to continue to learn and help us uh, to become uh, more and more like Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Uh, The first three years of my um, oldest son Aiden's uh, life, uh, our family lived in Indianapolis. I was working um, at a church there, and we lived um, uh, just a few blocks uh, from the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, which is the best children's museum. So I'm biased, but it's a great children's museum. And so I uh, spent a lot of time there. Our whole family spent a lot of time there. Um, and I would often uh, go uh, with Aiden. He was two, three years old um, at the time. And there was uh, one area in particular that he loved that was especially age-appropriate for him. It's just kind of this big area that had all sorts of activities um, that kids could do. And it was sort of covered by this sort of dome-shaped um, structure that was sort of like the, um, uh, sort of like a frame of a dome. And so kids would be inside of it, uh, playing, and then parents would be outside of the dome, um, and because you could see through it, they would kind of hang on the dome and look at their children inside. Um, and I spent many days, um, it felt like many hours sort of at that dome, sort of leaning against it, watching, um, Aiden as he would play. And often I was struck as I was, uh, would lean there and kind of watch him, 
I'd have this sense of me watching Aiden, um, but the Lord watching me. Um, and I think maybe there's something about that dome that sort of reminded me of the earth and this sense of like, as we watch, God is watching us and God is over us. It was especially comforting to do that and to think about the Lord watching over me because I would be looking at my son and thinking about I'm his father. And I would think, oh, God, my father, right, is looking at me, his son. Now, every once in a while, as you would imagine, parents would have to go into the dome because a child would need help or two children would get in a fight over something. My son was perfect, but other children perhaps um, would give him a hard time. And so the parents would come in, sort of intervene, enter the dome to do the parent thing and then leave again and let the children be. And that as well is a picture to me of the Lord, right? He's not just outside looking down upon us. He's not just transcendent over us, but he is with us. He is imminent. He comes into the world. He is active in the world and uh, doesn't just watch, um, you know, apathetically. He watches actively and actively engages with us. I want to think today about how the way that God sees us and the way that God intervenes, the way that God acts in our life, how that affects the way we see and the way we act. Right? God is the ultimate one who sees and acts, but that affects, again, our actions. It affects how we see the world, how we see God. And I want to consider that today looking at uh, the two major characters um, in this uh, reading uh, from uh, Ruth, looking at Ruth and Boaz, and considering what they teach us, again, about the Lord's work and how we can respond and imitate the Lord and his work. Um, and so we're um, in the, the book of Ruth uh, through uh, Advent. It works well, four chapters of Ruth, four Sundays um, in Advent, and we're getting the whole book of Ruth, right? I was tempted this week. Maybe I could cut it a little shorter. I'm like, what? I can't do that. We've got to read the whole thing. Um, it's rich, and it's um, uh, wonderful uh, to read. And if you weren't here last week or you're not familiar with uh, the book of Ruth, just to give you a little bit of a background, right? It begins with um, Naomi. And her husband, Elimelech, um, I gotta make sure I say that, uh, correct? Um, Elimelech going into Moab, uh, because there's famine in the land, in, in Judah and Bethlehem where they are from. So they go into Moab with their two, um, sons. Their two sons, uh, find wives from Moab that they marry. But tragically, Elimelech dies. Um, and then both of, of Naomi's sons, um, die. Um, and their wives are left widowed, and Naomi is left widowed. Um, the wives have not had um, children at that point, and so it's just the, the three of them. And Naomi um, finds out then that there is uh, the famine has ended in the land uh, where she is from, in Bethlehem. Um, and so she decides to go back, um, and it says very specifically, the Lord had provided food. Um, in Bethlehem. So she sees and hears God has provided, um, you know, an, an end to the famine. As she decides to go back, she tells her two daughters-in-law, look, stay, right? You're from Moab. Stay with your families. I can't provide with you, provide for you any more husbands, right? I, there's nothing I can give you. One of her daughters-in-law, Orpah, says, okay, you know, I will stay, understandably, right? This is her land. It's where she's from. But Ruth responds differently. And Ruth says, no, I am going with you. She makes this vow. She says, your people from now on will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And she actually says, may the Lord deal with me. So she speaks of the God of Israel as her God. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not honor this vow. And she goes. Um, And together, the two of them return um, to Bethlehem, or Naomi returns. Ruth goes there for the first time. And we're told uh, right at the end that the barley harvest has begun. So that's when they show up. And so, again, let's consider uh, first Ruth as we look at this passage and the actions of Ruth. 
And I want to consider how Ruth acts responsively. Right? She responds to what the Lord does. So as we think about seeing and acting, right, as she goes out right, and responds to what God has done, she sees God at work. Right? She sees God's continued work. So God has worked. Ruth responds to it. She reacts <laughs> in a good way right, to what God has done. And she continues then to see God's work. There's a responsiveness in Ruth. Now, if you look at the passage, it actually begins, um, verse 1, just tells us about Boaz, right? Boaz hasn't appeared yet, uh, but the, the author here, the, the narrator, is telling us there's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz, right? So he's coming. He's important, um, and keep your eye out for him. He's going to show up very soon. But then verse 2, and Ruth, the Moab, Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So she's saying, I'm going to go out, I'm going to glean, I'm going to gather up basically, you know, um, grain that has been left on the, in the field, sheaves that have been left in the field, um, and may I find someone in whose eyes I find favor. It's a little bit like a prayer she's saying, you know, may there be one in whom I find favor, right? And do you know how much um, the, the passage calls her Ruth the Moabite? It's repeated numerous times. It's reminding us she, she is a foreigner in this land. If you know at all the history, Moabites weren't viewed real fondly um, by Israel. They didn't have a great background um, history together. So she's aware, right? There's some risk there. And, but we can, you know, look at uh, Ruth and be like, man, way to go. You know, be proactive. But again, I would say actually it's not so much that she's being proactive. She's actually being reactive. She's responding to what God has done. Usually we use reactive in a, in a negative way. But I'm saying it's actually a positive way. She is moving out because of what God has done and how God has moved. One, God's provided food. He's provided a harvest time, right? After years of famine, apparently, God has now provided food, and so they are there, and she's responding to that, right? God has brought her. God has called her to be part of Naomi's family. God has called her to this land. As Joel and I, who preached last week, we're talking about it this week. You know, Joel was like, you know, it's the Holy Spirit at work that, that brought her into Naomi's family, right? It's the Spirit of God, which caused her to confess, your God will be my God. As God has been working in Ruth's life, and now she steps out. But also God has worked in his nation and has provided for gleaners, right? And that's where actually we can look at the book of Leviticus and say what's happening here is God's provision. God has set up things so that the poor will be taken care of. It says this in um, Leviticus in chapter 11, When you reap the harvest of your land, so this is to the people of Israel, right? This is God speaking to them. These are my directions for you. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to completely finish harvesting the corners of the field. That is, you are not to pick what remains after you have reaped your harvest. You are not to gather your vineyard or pick up the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Leave something for the poor and the resident alien who lives among you. I am the Lord your God. Hooray for the book of Leviticus, right? It helps us understand the rest of scriptures. I know you want to skip Leviticus um, in, your, in your reading, but there's good stuff there, right? When you reap, leave some behind. Take care of the resident alien and the poor, right? Naomi and Ruth, the Lord has, been, has prepared for them, right? The Lord has prepared for many who are poor. And so Ruth goes out um, uh, in light of what God has done. Now, again, even though that's the Lord's law, right, that's the Lord's commandment to his people, sadly, the people of God don't always obey the Lord. 
And so there is some risk in what she's doing, right? There may be landowners who are not happy to have gleaners there, especially not Moabite gleaners. And so she's in some danger, and you get that in this passage. You hear again and again, you know, stay with the men, you know, be, be protected, right? There's some danger out there. But what happens as she steps out, uh, really, in faith and responds to what the Lord um, is doing? So verse 3, so she went out, she set out and went and gleed in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who and it reminds us again, who is the clan of Elimelech, right? There's lots of repetition, right? I've already told you he's part of the clan of Elimelech. I'm telling you again, it just so happened, right? It's like the, you know, author here of Ruth is like, isn't that a coincidence? Wink, wink, you know, like maybe God's doing this. And then look at the next verse and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, right? Behold is kind of like, look at this. Can you believe it? It just so happened on the day Ruth was there, Boaz showed up. I mean, God is working, right? We see it very clearly, right? The narrator doesn't have to say, and God arranged things so that Boaz would show up on the day Ruth was there. We see it very clearly. As Ruth steps out, and she acts responsively to what God has done, she is able to see God at work, right, and providing for her. And again, let's just emphasize how hard Ruth works, right? Look at verse 7. Um, she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest, right? Ruth is not taking this lightly. Like she gets out there, she gets a place that she can glean and she starts gleaning. She works hard. And then go down to verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. We'll say more about that, but an ephah of barley is like two weeks worth of barley that a gleaner would usually get. So she gets two weeks worth in one day, which again shows the Lord's abundance and generosity towards her and Boaz's, but also shows this is a woman who works hard. Right? She's responding um, and, uh, uh, to what God has done and what God has provided. And again, as we read on, we realize, yes, right, Boaz um, is generous, he's kind, and we'll talk more about that in a second. He's part of the clan of Elimelech, but he's also, we learn, a redeemer, Right? The, um, look at, again, verse, um, uh, what verse is that? Uh, 19. Um, so she told her mother-in-law she had worked with um, and uh, said at the top of page 7 there, the man's name with whom I work today is, and you can almost imagine sort of a pause, right? Naomi's waiting to hear who the man is, and then Ruth says, Boaz, right? And Naomi probably sort of freaks out like, Boaz? Right, Boaz, I mean, not only is he clearly a worthy and generous man, but we're actually related to him. He's part of the clan and he is a redeemer. Right? You have, God led you to the very person who actually has an obligation to care for our family. Now, what does it mean that he's a redeemer? We know what book helps us understand what a redeemer is. You want to take a guess? Leviticus, yes. So let's hear again from Leviticus. Such a great book, so helpful for us. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25 says this. If a stranger, oh wait, yeah, wait, says two places in 25. First, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So basically, if there's, you know, a need to sell property, then the redeemer, right, someone, a family member who has, you know, made a promise, made an obligation to care, he will redeem what has been sold. If he's financially able, he should care for that family member. Right? And then it says later in 25, if a stranger or sojourner which with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he's sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him 
or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. So it's saying, look, if you face such poverty that you actually have to sell yourself into slavery, like an indentured servanthood kind of thing, and, and, and pay off, then eventually, right, you may be redeemed um, from that slavery, from that indentured servanthood, by a redeemer. And that can be, you know, a brother, or it can be a close family member. So we see, right, once again, God has provided a way for redeemers to care for people in their family who are in financial need. It seems like, and well, this will come out as we continue to study the book of Ruth in the next two weeks um, coming, that there were other obligations that had arisen over time, and certainly in Bethlehem at that time, there were other expectations of redeemers. But we see the dynamic, once again, that God has set up. The redeemers have an obligation to their extended family members to take care of them. And God has led Ruth, and therefore Naomi, to their redeemer. And the redeemer has already shown himself to be generous and kind, and to take seriously the obligations that he has in the Lord. So God has been at work, and Ruth has responded to that. There's a common saying, I'm sure you've heard it, God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible. That is not in the book of Leviticus or anywhere. It's actually in many ways, right, goes against the very heart of the gospel, which is God helps those who can't help themselves, right? God helps those who are dead in their sins, and he brings forgiveness and grace and mercy to them. But there's a reason, I think, that people resonate with that saying, even though, again, it's not at its core true to what we believe as Christians. There's a reason people, I think, respond positively to that because it's saying it's good to act. And God honors our actions. But our actions are always responsive. God is the initiator. God takes the lead and we respond. And so, yes, God does help us as we act and as we move out but our moving out, our acting is always because he has first acted. And so we can look at Ruth and we can say, man, Ruth works hard. She does. She is responsive to what God has provided. Right? And Boaz is generous. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But it's God who takes the initiation. I was at um, Redeemer, or not Redeemer, Resurrection Anglican, right? One of the, our churches, uh, the newest one of our daughter churches. Um, and uh, their last Sunday was just their fourth Sunday of, you know, weekly services. And it was a joy uh, to be there. And again, being there uh, last Sunday, just uh, be with them as they worship, was to see God at work, God powerfully at work. Right? And, and again, just the excitement that people have, the people who are coming, folks that are finding a church home, some of whom who haven't been in church for years, some of whom who've never really had a relationship with the church, are finding a home there. I'm a resurrection Anglican. And I could see God's work, and I was aware, right, being there, of all the work that's gone into starting that church, that Josh and Brian Moon have been in, that um, many of their leaders have been in, that we as a church and sending them out, right? There's been a lot of work, and there is a lot of work, right? It's a church, you know, a mobile church, right? They have set up, tear down, they have lots of ministries that they're doing. And so I could see their work, and I could see God's work, right? And it was beautiful, and I knew God started this, right? It was his initiation. It was his initiation when Jesus said, go into the world making disciples, right? Jesus initiated right there. Actually, it was initiation when God created the world, right? From the very beginning, God initiated, right? But, and then God initiated a vision with Josh and Bryony. And God initiated, right, and called people to be part of that church. And so they are working hard. And yet, I can celebrate, this is God's work, right? And as they are working in the Lord, they're seeing God's work. Their eyes are continuing to be open on how he's at work. And so we see that in Ruth. So in Ruth, if we see it a responsiveness to the Lord, God sees, God acts, and we respond. And as we respond, our eyes are open to God's actions in the world. Our eyes um, help us to see how God is at work. Then with Boaz, we can say Boaz shows us an imitation. 
Right? In Ruth, we see a responsiveness. In Boaz, we see imitating the way God sees, imitating the way that God acts. That's one of the ways we respond to the Lord is we seek to be more and more like him. So let's consider Boaz in this story, right? So we got that introduction in verse 1, but then he shows up in verse 4. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And isn't it nice we have this nice little liturgical moment? The Lord be with you. And they answer, and also with you, basically, right? The Lord bless you, right? So um, they're liturgical um, there. And, but more than that, right, let's celebrate that Boaz's first thing we see him doing is he's blessing. He is saying to his workers, may the Lord be with you. The first thing is not, Boaz is here, the boss is here. All right, how's it going? How much have you gotten done today? Are you taking too many breaks? Right, give me the numbers, right? You know, what have you done wrong? What mistakes do I have to deal with? No. He begins with, may the Lord bless you. May you know the Lord's presence with you. And their response shows, right, as you give blessing, you receive blessing. I mean, there's a dynamic there that's so key to this overall story. Ruth has blessed her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. And she has received blessings, right? And Boaz speaks to that. So he, he celebrates, he comes with blessing, right? And then he sees Ruth. He sees her. And he wonders who she is. He doesn't see, oh, there's someone gleaning, oh, someone else taking, you know, our leftovers. You know, can we get rid of these people? He wonders who she is. He wants to learn more about her. And the man who responds, the servant, who seems to be very kind, but notice that two different ways he wants to emphasize, well, she's a Moabite. She is the young Moabite woman. Um, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, right? Like, Boaz, let's be really clear, she is a foreigner among us, right? And again, it doesn't seem that he wishes or any ill will, but that's what he sees when he sees Ruth. But what does Boaz see? What does he say to her? Now listen, my daughter. Right away, he sees her as a member of the family. Isn't that striking? Ruth calls, I mean, Naomi calls her my daughter, and then Boaz calls her my daughter. You're part of the family, I mean, he automatically knows. She's part of my clan, right? I'm, the, I'm part of the clan of Elimelech. If this is Ruth, then she's part of my family, and I need to care for her. And he shows her incredible care. Again, protection. Basically, he kind of makes her like one of, her worker, one of his workers. I mean, she's still gleaning, but basically he makes sure that she's right there next to her as workers. She, he serves her um, this meal, right, this abundant meal where there's leftovers. It right? kind of reminds us of the feeding of the 5,000, right? There's leftover food. It's so abundant. And she says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Verse 10. But Boaz basically responds to her, I don't see you as a foreigner. Right? I see you as one who has cared for her mother-in-law, who's part of my clan. I see you one who's actually cared for a member of my family. I see you one that has blessed and therefore should receive blessing. Again, it's not, you know, God helps those who help himself. It is as we bless we receive blessings back. That's just a kingdom dynamic, right? As we sow generously, we reap generously, right? So that's in Second Corinthians. So he, that's his blessing for her. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May a full reward given you by the Lord. And to verse 12, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I see you as one who belongs to the Lord. You have come under his wings and you are part of the family now. I don't see a foreigner. I see someone who is part of our people. And we can look at that and we can say, may we have eyes like that to see as the Lord sees. Right? The Lord sees the least of these. The Lord sees the sojourner. He sees the resident alien. We heard that in the book of Leviticus. He sees the poor and cares about them. And he calls us to have the same eyes, to see and to act on that seeing as Boaz does. I hope you've uh, appreciated the art um, in our um, gallery um, space um, this winter. It'll be up there for the uh, next couple of months 
I mean, one thing I appreciate and been struck by as I've been looking at that art is that you have, you know, paintings of waterfalls. In general, right, waterfalls we like to look at, right? You can just spend a lot of time just looking at a waterfall. And you have altarpieces, you know, in churches, beautiful church kind of scenery, which we love to look at. And then you have people in need with signs saying, please help me, right? Homeless um, folks, right? And in general, right, it's hard to look at people in need. We we tend to look away. And maybe it's not because we're hard-hearted. I think oftentimes that's not the case. We often look away because we just don't know what to do, right? We just feel kind of helpless. Like, I'm not sure what to do. It's easier just to look the other way. And I feel like the art, and I can't speak for the artist, but what I see is basically when you have a picture of someone who you tend to look away from actually hung up on a wall in a frame, you are saying they deserve to be looked at. They're people made in the image of God, and we're called to look at them, to see them, right? To see them not first and foremost as a homeless person, but first and foremost someone who God loves, who he wants to come under his wings, who perhaps they have come under his wings and sought him out. And so we look, and we know as we look, as we see with God's eyes, and we hear the Lord saying, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. So we're called to see, but we're called to act. Um, as well. I'll just sort of mention as a side note, right, as we look and as we see, there may be all sorts of responses you have. That's what I appreciate about the art. It actually doesn't tell you what to do, but it says, look, right, begin by seeing people and asking the Lord, how do I respond to what I see? But I will mention, right, because it's so appropriate to the, the passage, that we as a church have said we want to respond, right? Some of the ways we're doing that right now is we're, you know, just formed a team that actually is going committed to adopting and helping a refugee family, right? We haven't been assigned a family yet, but when we are, we're, we're ready. And we've um, uh, participated in some training and some preparation for that time. And so that's a response. Arrive Ministries, who we're working with, right, is re- responding, right, in light of what the Scriptures teach us and what we see. I'm right here in the book of Ruth. So that will be happening. I invite you actually just keep your eyes open for that. Um, uh, if you haven't uh, signed up to be part of the team, there will be other ways in which we will be serving um, this refugee family. We did that a few years ago with another family. And so that's a great opportunity to respond. Another ministry I will just mention, Together for Good, is a ministry we've supported for a few years. We actually have one of the representatives coming next month. But it is a great ministry that cares for the least of these, in particular uh, for families in crisis and helping them with their children. Um, and oftentimes it's uh, single moms um, that uh, we're serving. And again, we'll be learning more about them, but if you want to learn more about them, contact me. I'll put you in charge in contact with Debbie Ainsley, who's overseeing our, our um, connection with them. But again, Boaz shows us that we see, and he responds so abundantly. Like I said, the ephah barley is, is an immense amount of food um, that he responds, and it's a picture of God's abundant provision. Finally, let's look at verse um, 20. When Naomi hears that it's Boaz who has cared uh, for Ruth, she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That word kindness is hesed. Joel talked about that last week. The loving kindness of the Lord, the covenant love of the Lord. It's a word that has all sorts of meaning that's worth considering. And Naomi is celebrating the hesed, the loving kindness of who? It's actually not totally clear. Is it Boaz that she's celebrating or she's celebrating the Lord? May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or dead, right? May he be blessed by the Lord who's kind, or may he be blessed because his kindness, right? There's actually a lot of debate what that means, but the great thing is either way, it's awesome, right? Because either way, it's basically saying either God has shown his loving kindness through Boaz, or Boaz has shown loving kindness as he has imitated the Lord, right? I mean, it's the Lord's loving kindness, and it's Boaz's loving kindness, and they're connected. And in seeing that, 
Naomi's faith is restored. If you remember last week, Naomi said, basically, God is my enemy. He has emptied me. And now what's happening? She's receiving fullness. She's being filled up again through Boaz, but through the Lord working through Boaz. And Boaz is restoring her faith. We often hear, unfortunately, about folks whose faith has been really damaged because they've been hurt by the church, they've been hurt by a Christian. And yet we see in Boaz, right, that the opposite is also true. As we seek to be like the Lord, as we seek to imitate him, there's an opportunity to build up those whose faith has been damaged to restore um, and to be used by the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for the models of Ruth and Boaz. But first and foremost, Lord, we thank you um, for the model of Jesus who calls us to loving kindness, who calls us to responsiveness, and who not only calls us to that but works in us. We thank you for your spirit giving us strength. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be responsive, that we would be imitators of you. Be at work, we pray, in our lives, and give us, again, eyes to see you and eyes to see each other as you see us. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.